Good morning, Mariana. Good morning. Oh, I thought you were going to do the Thomas countdown thing. Five, four, three. I'll, I'll <laughs> Oh, it's one of my favorite parts, and he doesn't know you left it in all the time. Yeah, I mean, that was that was part of the fun of the show, because, you know, like I said, he didn't really ever listen to the show, so I would say, like, oh, yeah, I'll take that out, and then leave in little snippets of things that, that he didn't know were in the show. So it's always fun to uh, do the editing on those. Which is awesome as a listener. You feel like you're pulling over, pulling the wool over someone's eyes. <laughs> right. They're in on the joke against Thomas, right? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of pulling the wool over someone's eyes, where does that come from? I'm not sure. I've never what? really. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. Never really. Oh, I should have that. asked you about Caesar salads. <laughs> Salt salary. Um, yeah, I've never really looked at that. What was the? Uh, there was another one I was thinking about the other day. That was uh, something like that, where it was someone used it in public. And I tweeted about it. Oh, I think it was Joe Biden was talking about rule of thumb. And he said, no, you, you know where, where rule of thumb comes from, right? And he goes into this sort of uh, history about how the rule of thumb meant uh, in early, or how do you say it? He said like the Middle Ages, but he, I think he meant like early medieval period, which is not the same. <laughs> he, uh, he, he said was there was... Close. Good try, Joe. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a law in the books where you could like beat your wife in to within like an inch of her life or something, and this they they started regulating it because wife beating was so uh, rampant. Round upon? Oh, rampant! Oh no, not round upon. Oh. So they said the, the the stick could only be as wide as your thumb that you beat your wife. Ah. With. So that's where the rule of thumb comes from. It, it's totally not like the rule of thumb comes from like a mid nineteenth uh, century. Uh, I forgot the whole history behind it, but it's like a mid nineteenth century term that has to do with like you know measurement, not having nothing to do with wife beating and or spouse abuse, which is terrible. Um, also, Joe, if you're running for president, why are you bringing up wife beating in any? Context? Well, someone was asking about spousal <laughs> abuse, or, or yeah, there, oh, it was it was in like a oh. town hall, and someone was asking about his, yeah, you know, various he policies. The rabbit, he chased the rabbit down the hole. Yeah, you know, it's it's the danger of using that anecdotal history where you you know you think you know something, and we we live in a turns out culture anyway. You know, thanks to people like Malcolm Gladwell and you know podcasts like um, what's the uh, something percent like the, the, there are all these great podcasts that that, that sort of uh, examine these little phrases and, and colloquialisms that we use to mean something else, and you know, it's like well, actually, turns out that's not what it means. And, you know, Malcolm Gladwell has made his career on that. And, you know, some of his stuff is really good, some of it not so much. But, um, you know, we, we live in that culture where it's very easy to Google something. And Wikipedia is a, a fantastic resource. So, yeah, I'm going to look at the rule of thumb uh, Wikipedia page. I'm sure it'll tell me right. Yep, there we go. Uh, da, 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 and it goes I into the room. Yep. Go ahead. It's yeah, a great so radio for me looking up things on Wikipedia. Well, I'm just saying it, it makes it very difficult to preach because if you have a, a statistic that you're sharing, a story that you're sharing, or even an interpretation that you're sharing of a biblical text, everybody in the audience in the congregation has their phones readily available. So I think that it's made it kind of difficult 
what do you think? You just preached this Sunday. I don't know if everybody knew. You, you uh, shared sneakily your sermon audio. I did. I did. So rule of thumb, by the way. Did you back, listen? Oh. It goes back to 1685, and it was first used in a sermon, like the first account that we have of it. Uh, many protest Christians are, I'm sorry, many uh, prophets. Protest? No, I, I read that wrong. Many uh, prophets Christians are like to, uh, to be foolish builders who build by guess and by rule of thumb, as we used to speak, not by the square and the rule. So, you know, it's basically, basically saying like you're eyeballing something when you build it. So you're building your faith like you would, you know, a shoddy construction instead of using, you know, a square and a rule to do it right. Measure, Which measure, we would measure twice, cut once kind of a thing. Yeah. Rulers and tape Cat, measures. Castles so. made of sand fall into the sea eventually, to, to quote Jimi Hendrix. Um, I was talking about that. I have that had a with, children's song about that from my Sunday school years that I won't share, but yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was talking about that with my, uh, my daughters who are all into Minecraft now. And uh, they were building big things on the beach and, and they kept collapsing. And I was like, well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's this great song by Jimi Hendrix, and they're like, "Who?" And I was like, "Ah, Feld is a father." So I made them listen to Jimi Hendrix all all Saturday, and and they actually liked it. Um, I didn't tell them how to rebuild. You made them figure it out themselves. Well, that's the fun of Minecraft. They were frustrated by that. I remember. Then go look it up on YouTube and figure it out yourself. Uh, so yeah, I, I preach a Sunday on John one twenty nine through forty two, which is a, and the a, rule of thumb. No, and, not no. the rule of thumb at all. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny that it first appeared in a sermon, though. Yeah, it was a Scottish guy, who uh, Scottish preacher James Durham in 1685. So it's been a while since you've been in the pulpit. How was it? Well, it's you know, it's like riding a bike. I mean, once you get into it, you're you, you don't want to stop. <laughs> no, I, I I love preaching because it gives you a reason, a professional. Uh, I'm sorry, my voice is cracking. A professional reason to uh, to sit down and study something intently for you know, throughout the week. So it's not like, Hey, Marianne, I'm going to go uh, study this, this uh, obscure piece of religious writing for a few hours while you have the kids, you know, have fun. It's like, no, no, I've got to go prepare for my sermon. So that's <laughs> a good excuse. No, really. Um, Jimi Hendrix is part of my sermon. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it was good. And it's, it's, it's a fun passage because it's, it, it, you know, everyone calls it the lamb of God passage because it's John the Baptist saying, look, look, my, He's talking to his disciples. Look, here comes this guy I've been telling telling you about. Here's the Lamb of God. And it's almost like in Star Wars where there's the rule of two for the bad guy, Sith. So there's always the master and there's always, you know, the master's apprentice, basically. So there was the emperor and Darth Vader. Before that, there was the emperor and Darth Maul until he gets killed. So he has to replace him with Count Dooku. And then he gets killed. So he replaces him with Anakin, who becomes Darth Vader, right? So you always have to have two bad guys in Star Wars. Um, and it, it doesn't work until the apprentice kills the master. So the whole point of the original Star Wars stuff was that the Emperor was trying to get Luke Skywalker to go to the dark side so that Luke Skywalker could kill him, the Emperor, and then the Emperor would take over his body with the rest of the Sith, and then Luke would go find an apprentice. So there's this you know kind of constant stream, and I won't spoil the new one, but it, it's kind of about that as well. Uh, so it's kind of like that in, in this passage in, in John where um, – you know, John is out doing his thing in the desert and he's just been accosted by a party from uh, Jerusalem who, who, according to John, Gospel of John, uh, were sent uh, to, to see what was going on and why people were getting baptized and, and whether or not he was Elijah or if he was the Messiah. So right before this passage I preached on, 
John the Baptist talks to these, it says Pharisees and, and scribes, Levites, Levites, and or country preachers, if you will, and says, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not Elijah, which is different than what we get in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he says, I'm not the Messiah, like in life of Brian. So then it says the next day, dot, 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 in this passage, and, and Jesus comes walking up. And instead of following John as like a, a follower or a disciple, like Jesus does in the other gospels, here Jesus is already assumed to be the Lamb of God, and John immediately recognizes him for what he is. So the, the character of John becomes really interesting because all of a sudden, John like passes Andrew, one of his disciples, on to Jesus and says, you know, y'all go follow him now. So Andrew gets Peter, his brother, and then Jesus, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, says, Peter, hey, you're, you're going to be my rock. Your, your name now is Cephas. And it's, it's like that rule of two things. So James, I'm sorry, John sees Jesus almost like his replacement immediately, just like the emperor sees Luke Skywalker as his replacement. Anyway, I didn't preach on that, <laughs> but I've been thinking about that. Um, and I, I think it's really cool because like John the Baptist here takes on a completely different persona and, and characterization. And again, you know, the gospel of John is the last gospel that's written that makes it into the canon. And the theology is already, or the theology of that community that wrote it. I, I'm more of the community and we, we can talk about this if you want to, but like there, there are some competing ideas about how the gospels got written. There's the idea that, uh, you know, Gospel of John was written in Ephesus around 100 to 110, whatever. And then, you know, Mark was written 70 to 75, somewhere around Antioch, maybe, you know, just not in Israel or in Jerusalem, but, you know, kind of close enough. And Matthew and Luke were kind of in between those two. But, you know, John has this whole other sort of high Christology, high theology. And it, uh, the Gospel of John is clearly in communication with both the synagogue, but also other um, sort of competing cults. And I don't mean like bad cults, I mean, you know, like other religious groups. Community. Are, yeah, yeah, right. That may or may not have been producing their own texts. We don't know because it didn't survive. But we do know that there were texts floating around all over the place. So that's that's one idea, like the community set up. The other idea is that all these communities, these early, the way communities or followers of Jesus or Christians, if you want to call it that, that early, they're all communicating with each other and passing text around freely. So they kind of have a, a sneaker net, you know, sort of an internet where they have messengers kind of going back and forth and they're like, Hey, what did, what did that, uh, what did that Matthew guy write? Or, you know, how are they redacting that text this week? I, I don't really buy that as much. I think the communities were a little more insular. Hey, like the pages in the Senate chambers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Messages. Right. Like passing notes. And, and certainly <laughs> they were doing that. I mean, we, we, we know that, I mean, the Roman roads were equipped in, in such a way that, um, you know, a message could get to Rome from, you know, this part of the empire in so many days. Uh, and, and there were basically like a Pony Express type setup for, for uh, correspondence if you were very wealthy. And, you know, every day Cicero would, would send his, you know, page boy down to, you know, the, the forum to get the news of the day. And, and Julius Caesar created the world's first newspaper where he would, you know, kind of uh, post up news and, and all the senators or the, the aristocracy would send their slaves down to the forum to record it on wax tablets and run back up uh, to their homes out in the country so that the masters could sit and eat their Cheerios and, and read the wax tablet news of the day. It was a very, yeah, unless, unless they opted out and then <laughs> right. too many ads. So it was a very too interesting, 
buy this chariot, only four ninety nine down. Um, <laughs> so there, there was, there was, you know, communication between these communities. But all that to say, there's a lot of differences in the Gospel of John and Mark, and there's a lot of differences in the Gospel of John and Matthew and Luke. Why does that happen? It depends on who you ask. I still like to think these were communities that were coming up with texts based on their own traditions because there was no, you know, big C Christianity yet. And we didn't know yes. if, if, yeah, we didn't know if the primary uh, uh, apostle was going to be Peter or if it was going to be, you know, Paul and Thecla or if it was going to be Mary Magdalene or James. And, you know, what happened was the Luke Acts slash Paul kind of, and I'm going to get in trouble with my academic friends for saying this, like proto-Orthodoxy group, what became kind of the Roman church, effectively won out. And voices like James or even Mary Magdalene's uh, really get sort of, you know, asphalted over as, as we move through the, the next two, 300 years of canonization and creating what became Big C Catholic Church. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot there that we don't really talk about. It, it was a long process of, of putting things together. But in that first century, even into the second century, you know, it, it's like the early stages of the solar system. And there's a lot of stuff bouncing around and the Earth is still molten hot. And it's getting hit all the time by comets and asteroids and other planets. The moon pops out after something like Mars hits us. You know, so there, there's all this, all this kinetic energy and, and we're, you know, still not really sure of how that process worked out. And I think that was one of the most interesting things to me when I got to my New Testament classes in seminary, because I thought there was one gospel, one gospel message, right? Share the gospel with your friends is how I grew up. And so to actually get into the text of the gospels, plural, helped me realize, wait a second, these are different stories about the same story. And for some people, that's very threatening to their faith to think that there's not one story, one gospel message about Jesus. And I can remember when we got to the end of Matthew, and perhaps I mentioned this the last time we were together, and the people in my congregation were like, wait a second, where's the ascension? And I was like, yeah, not here. It's not here in the, at the end of the gospel of Matthew. And they're like, wait, what? But this is the story, right? And if you are in a creedal kind of community, then that's, a, that's what you repeat. The Apostles' Creed has all of that in it. And so we get to the point where we think we know the story, but when we go back and actually look at the text that we've been given, it really is revelatory, I think. And for me, I think the discussion about these Gospels coming out of different communities geographically was really actually inspiring to me. It wasn't threatening to my faith, although I know some people that that would be threatening to their faith or challenging to their faith might be a better way to say it. But to me, it's like, yes, because the geography of where we are in the context that we're in does impact how we receive the message, the gospel, the text. And perhaps you will say this is reader's response of me. And it is. It is. But when I was in Germany and I was in worship in Germany, although we were using the same text and the same tradition and all, I mean, all things considered, pretty much the same order of worship, it was different than worshiping in America. And I think that's one of the, the beauties of being a community of faith situated in a certain time and a certain place. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things I've realized kind of, you know, I'm, I did pastoral studies, but I also focused a lot on the biblical study side. So for me, it was, um, I feel like I've always kind of straddled or tried to straddle that line between, 
theological studies and academic studies and try to, you know, try to be a bridge over troubled water to bring those two back. Because, you know, so many of my friends on religion Twitter are pure academics. And then the other side right. are, you know, they put the reverend in front of their name. And I just put the reverend in front of my name so I can get a blue check because I want to be verified. Um, I'm talking to you, Jay. Wait, how do I do that? I want to do that. Well, I, I just noticed, uh, yeah, one of my friends, uh, they, they put, you know, Reverend in front of their name and they got a blue check. So I was like, well, damn, maybe I should put Reverend in front of my name so I can get a blue check. I've been on Twitter since, you know, 2006. And, you know, anyway, um, I, I, I know some people there and still no blue check. But um, what, what's been really interesting to me also is that being um, kind of a, a part of your journey over the last... One. Just kind of, kind of a part of my journey. <laughs> Over the you last... mean the one who told me I was a preacher and I was like, wait, what? I don't think it's a preacher. I think it's a minister or pastor. I wouldn't no, say you're just you a said, preacher. You, but you said, so you're a preacher, huh? And I was like, no, women can't do that. <laughs> we're, we're physically incapable. We don't have the right body parts. Um, that's what I, I mean, basically, that's what I was told growing up, you know? We have a uterus, like, you know, that prevents women, you. Women are preachers. You bleed in weird places. We don't get it. So there's, uh, over the last, what, seven years, um, going from your first church to your second church to now being with your third church, uh, you know, everyone kind of You forgot the internships in between. I know, but I'm talking about the three churches where you've served as as pastor. So you've been sort of like the the theological spiritual leader, and then I kind of get put into this role of being the academician. You know, so I'm the one people come to, and they're like, so... What, what does this mean here in Gospel of Thomas? Or, you know, yes. I, read, I read this thing, and what does this mean? And, and frequently that would start with you kind of preaching about something and saying, like, you know, like, well, Sam said blah, 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 one day over dinner. And then, you know, we'll be out to lunch, and someone will say, you know, I've always had an issue with, uh, with that book of, you know, Second Peter. What, what's, that, what's going on in there? And it's like they want a kind of a quick Bible study lesson kind of a thing over, you know, our blimpy sandwiches or whatever. And Blimpies, what kind of reference is that? Is that restaurant? The first thing that came to my mind. I don't know. We had a Blimpies in Lexington, didn't we? Oh, no, no. That, was, that was a firehouse. Firehouse. Blimpies is from your college days in Spartanburg. Look, it, when you get to be like, an old man, like it all runs 20, together, okay? A 20 year old reference. <laughs> Look, I am Joe Biden. <laughs> the rule of thumb. Me and, and Click Clag used to be at the swimming pool. Oh, my gosh. And we would wrap them in chains and beat them. So, Anyways, over our blimpy sandwiches. We were eating our blimpy sandwiches, and and uh, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm doing Bible study, and this happened has happened at all three churches. Where my, my favorite was most recently when when uh, our one year old, our now one year old, had a dirty diaper, and you were trying to make your way to the bathroom to change it, and you were like holding this this our daughter with a stinky diaper, and somebody was asking you about. Um, they're different acts, like just not the acts of the apostles. And you're yes. like, yes, <laughs> I'm let me get right poop. back to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there are immediate concerns. Yeah. So I, I, I take on this Bible study guy or person role. I mean, during the service, I'm, I'm childcare basically at all three churches, which is a lot of fun when you have a four-year-old and a one-year-old trying to keep them engaged and, and happy. Um, but and, and I love it. I'm not. I'm not knocking it. But what if? What I, I, I maybe this time was was uh, kind of the icing on the cake for all that. But we were uh, finishing up. No, no. It was a uh, after after church the previous Sunday, 
And one of your congregants said something like, hey, I wanted to talk to you about Bible study. And I was like, oh, uh -oh she's going to say, or they're going to say like, uh, you know. What do you uh, always get? What's the comment that you always get? That was a little too academic, you know, or something like That's that. It's a little too, it's really hard to follow you. <laughs> yeah, right. You talk very fast. Um, but no, she said, I love that. You know, I've never, you know, heard, you know, I've studied the Bible my entire life, been in church my entire life, but I've never heard anyone talk about, you know, the differences between this and this or the similarities, similarities between this and this. And it really kind of changed the way I thought. She said the history behind the text. Right. right? So again, right. situating the text and the text creation in a time and place in a certain context. Yeah. And I've gotten that, I've gotten that at all three churches, all three churches. And these are people for the large, for the majority of the people that we have been a part of their congregation, they've been in church their whole lives. I mean, we have some people who come to our communities of faith that haven't ever been in church, but these are people who grew, grew up oh, in a lot of cases, Southern Baptists, going to vacation Bible schools, being in Bible studies, being in small groups, going on youth retreats, and they're adults now. And they're, but, they've and, and never, all churches, heard, this. They've never all, heard this. They've never discussed the history. And all three churches have been what I would say, you know, kind of not left of center politically, but, you know, they're not like conservative they're not conservative churches. No. And these are people who are um, professionals. Well, in, in the first they church have, I went to, or we went to, you know, the, 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 the kind of uh, meme or, or, or constant sort of self-identification was, you know, we're, we're the intelligent church, you know, they split off from another church basically. And, and, and it was full of, you know, Well, 33% of the church held a seminary degree. This was the church for chaplains and retired clergy. But I was still hearing that same sentiment yes. from people who were coming to Bible yeah. study, like, oh, we've never talked about this. And I'm like, what? How? But you've got all these like really educated people. But that goes back to the point that I made last week, that Bible study is not Bible study in so many communities of faith anymore. It's book studies. Yeah, it's book like, study or, or it's like, you Brian know, McLaren or, or different, yeah, different things like that. Or, or it's like a small group setting where you're sharing your prayer requests and, and those are fine and good. And, but I don't know. I, I just think Bible study should be studying the Bible. Yeah. And I mean, we both agree on that. And, I, and also in some cases, these are people who have been to Bible studies where they were told what the text meant. Right. Right. And so you go to Bible study to learn, oh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible and da, 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 da. And if you challenge that, then the Bible study leader or facilitator would challenge you back. So actually Bible study became uh, a kind of fighting grounds because there wasn't an there wasn't the tone of exploration or curiosity. There wasn't a leader who said, you know, I don't really know. I've been thinking about this a lot and I don't really know exactly what this means. Well, it, it's like your, your current church, the way they, which is what, how I teach Bible study. I'm not saying you teach Bible study because you do know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I mean, you know, I, I, I do the hard work beforehand, but it's like, uh, you know, at your current church, not the, me. The, I just fly in by the seat of my pants. <laughs> like See most, how the spirit leads. Most pastors. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they were basically like printing out the Wikipedia page and kind of going book by book and just reading, you know, what, some commentary they found online had said about a passage and without thinking about the context of, okay, where does this commentary come from? Or where does this web page I've printed out come from? And right. Why would this study Bible be slanted to a certain interpretation? 
Right. Or it's like, oh, Lifeway. Yeah, that sounds legit. Let me, uh, let me read from this commentary. Uh, oh my gosh, that was half of Bible study one night where we discussed like, there is a spectrum of interpretations. <laughs> so you can find what you're looking for. And that was, that was hard for people to understand too. Like yeah. that there have, there had, this is an ongoing discussion that we're just joining now in 2020. There have been academics and theologians and communities of faith who have been trying to interpret the Bible for all of these years in all of these different places. And there have been papers and books and presentations and dissertations written on this very thing. Well, and, and people and, are like, wait, what? Yeah, and we hear so much in our, our current cultural and political world, you know, about like, oh, well, MSNBC is for the lefties, CNN is kind of for the moderate, you know, left, and Fox News is for the Republicans, and then you've got one American network over on the far, right? You know, it, it we kind of segment the media that way, so it's like, you, you can tell a lot about a person when they say, oh, well, I was watching MSNBC the other day, and Craig Melvin said blah, 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 or, you know, Stephanie Rule said blah, 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 and I say this as I've got... MSNBC on mute in the background of the office here. Yeah, right. Just um, so people know where you lie. No, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not an MSNBC watcher. Um, I don't drive a Prius. I don't have a coexist bumper sticker on my Prius, and I, I don't talk about my vegetarianism at parties. But um, the, the, I think that spectrum that we hear. So, you know, people don't want to associate that with the Bible. So when they go online and they find a commentary or they have a question about the Bible and they just Google something. And the first 10 things that pop up on that topic are from, you know, Eric Texas or, or, you know, some, you know, I'm not going to say far right wannabe Bible celebrity, you know, but, but the Roger ears out there, you know, who, who want to kind of create this, um, uh, you know, preface of, of expert intentionality. And, and they, they print that out and they use that for Bible study. And it's, it's just, you know, in a lot of ways, it can be real garbage. Um, and I'm not saying you should get back to the original text and just study the Bible for the Bible's sake, but I think there's a lot of credence in, in what you said about, you know, maybe let's just focus on the Bible because honestly, I would say an overwhelming majority of people sitting in the pews or going to a Bible study have never actually read that chapter of the Bible that you're studying. Well, and I think that's one of the things I discovered in my very first internship. I was teaching youth. And we were studying the book of Jonah. Only four chapters was only supposed to take four weeks. It turned into eight weeks. And they were like, no, no, this was um, a whale. And I was like, where did you get the whale? And they said, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And I was like, look, they're looking at me telling me this story. And I'm like, look down into your Bible and see the word that you're, there's like a fish. What? And you can tell, and this was the first time I think, which was actually really early on, which was a good thing. The first time that I understood that I, as a pastor and as a minister, would not be only teaching the text or the passage. I would also have to uh, engage with and challenge interpretation history. So the way the story has been told over the years. Right. And when you get into a new context or a new community of faith, you begin to understand that there are all these stories. There's all this interpretation history that's gone on. 
about specific passages that are in the Bible. Um, so you can you know that this exists on hotbed issues like LGBTQIA, women in ministry. Like you are fighting interpretation history. So to go back to the text and start there is a starting point, but you also have to kind of do your due diligence and realize like how are you going to uh, engage, not engage, or talk to people who have such strong interpretation history, right? And I think that's the, the genius of Matthew, because Matthew, you know, uses the whole, you have heard it was said, you know, in yes. reference to the Torah. And that's, and that's one of the things that we focused on, right? The gospel writer is reinterpreting texts that would have been interpreted in a certain way in order to frame this figure as Messiah, right? So we do the same things all the time, right? And so in more progressive communities or more liberal communities of faith, you know, people, you will hear the rhetoric, oh, well, that's cherry picking. And you're just cherry picking different things to back up your argument, like cherry picking the Leviticus passage and then the New Testament passages to say the Bible says homosexuality is bad, right? And that's bad. Cherry picking is bad. Well, I always go into places and say, I am a cherry picker because there are certain passages that speak to me more, more clearly than other passages. And famously in our Matthew study, when we were kind of uncovering, like, how did we get, oh, right before we studied the gospel of Matthew, the church before we ever came decided that they were going to study the Bible all the way through, book by book, verse by verse. And they said, we've been in the Old Testament a long time. We kind of want to skip to the New Testament. <laughs> and I was like, oh, um, so we got to the Gospel of Matthew. There's a reference back to Leviticus. And I was like, oh, but y'all already studied this because they were going through the canon, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And they were like, well, actually, I was like, what? And they said, we skipped Leviticus. I was like, what? Like, that's cherry picking. You have cherry picked by skipping Leviticus. And they said, yeah, it just seems like a lot. So we just skipped it. And this is what we all do. We all, if we're in a kind of our uh, own head, go to passages that speak to us, right? For me, it's Colossians and Ephesians, which came out last week. That those are kind of go-to. If they show up in the lecturary, probably I'm going to choose those passages to preach from. Well, it, it depends on which Bible you're reading, too. I mean, canonization for Protestant Christians looks different than Catholic Christians or Orthodox Christians or, you know, but the point an Episcopal be, Church is different has a different Bible than a, a Baptist church. So, sure. I mean, if but gonna, the point being that even in our modern context, there are parts of the canon that we preach and teach from and parts that we leave out. Yeah, sure. Even it's, those who are lectionary preachers and the lectionary was devised and planned so that preachers would preach from a wide variety of different passages. And so we wouldn't just go with our gut or go with where we want to be. We would engage with Old Testament texts. We would engage with texts that we wouldn't necessarily engage with if it were our choice and the idea for those of us who follow the lectionary is that we don't want to be eisegetical. We don't want to just preach something that is, you know, on our hearts and minds. We want to let the text come first, right? I call, and, I call it the Bob Seeger strategy. 
you know, so it's what to leave in, what to leave out. <laughs> uh, it's it's a Bob Seger lyric. He was a singer songwriter. Right, but we all do this, right? <laughs> you have no, idea, no idea what I'm talking about. No, I don't against the wind. Against the wind. Anyway, it's a great song. Um, but we all cherry pick, right? We all, we all cherry pick. But, and also, we, we, don't, we, we cherry pick, but we also cherry pick what we cherry pick. So, you know, yes. there's also the narrative lectionary because the Vanderbilt lectionary is a little too stuffy. So we're going to make the narrative lect- lectionary, which is a little more touchy-feely, and it brings in... Dinah Butler Bass and Gandhi and some other voices into the canon. Uh, but, you know, that's that's still too normative. So we're going to have the feminist lectionary. And then over here, we're going to have the, um, what's the one from the Southern Baptist Lifeway thing? There's a whole I don't lectionary. know. I'm just waiting for the thinking religion lectionary that you and Thomas referenced all the time. We I mean, still have, we still have thinkinglectionary.com. And we, we, we wrote a lot on it, but we haven't published anything yet. Maybe in 2020. We'll see. We're still working on the Bible bracket challenge <laughs> extras for the uh, for the extra shows, uh, but yeah. So I mean, uh, yes, we, we cherry pick, but then we cherry pick what we cherry pick. You know, there's it's it's turtles all the way down when it comes to how we do interpretation. Um, one, one of my favorite things to do is an, this is an important point for us to realize, especially those of us who are, consider ourselves progressive, and say actually we engage in the same process that the conservatives do unless we admit that we are doing that very thing. If you admit you're biased, then you're doing something that is not being done on the yeah, other side. Right. But you know, the, the way to show strength in, in the current cultural context is not to, you know, admit your privilege or bias or your identity politics. It's to say, here's the deal. You know, let me be clear. Let me be clear. Here's the a, truth. Yeah. You use a performative. Not, no. And that's, I grew up in, in a, fundamentalist conservative community that there were, I can remember so many sermons about absolute truth, absolute truth, absolute truth. And I can remember listening to those even as a middle schooler and thinking, is that absolute? Because I think it doesn't apply to some people. So how can something that's absolute be only for us who are gathered here? But isn't absolute kind of a universal kind of thing. And that's where, that's where it began to crack for me is that there were these servants that were so certain about things that we cannot be certain about in my mind. Like even as a middle schooler and high schooler, I didn't believe that we could be certain about knowing that we know that we know that we know. My, my thing was like, as I studied ancient history more and more in high school and I really got into, you know, kind of the world of the old Testament, but also just ancient history in general. Like we had a, <laughs> we had a class in high school that, that was only available for seniors and it was, it was called ancient history and it was basically the, the flunky class. So like if you flunked a history course, this was like an easy class that you could take with it, like the driver's ed coach teaching it. Wait, so how did you get in there? So that you could get your credit to graduate high school. Right. And lots of high schools in the area did this. They had, they had a math flunky course that was like, you know, basic geometry type stuff. So <laughs> I took the course cause I, I was, I think I was just talking with the coach and he was like, yeah, I got to teach this, this stupid ancient history thing. And I was like, Oh dude, I'll, I'll do it. And he was like, well, you want to, you want to be in the class? And I was like, yeah. So here's me, you know, the, the valedictorian salutatorian of, of the school. <laughs> student That's class. what I'm saying. How did you get in that class? But, and I sat in the back of the, of the class and I actually got to teach a few classes. Like he let me teach and, and <laughs> I loved it. And of it was course. so much fun. Yeah. And uh, that's where I got into the Assyrian thing and, you know, eventually wrote my book on that stuff because I was just fascinated with the artwork and with the history behind it. And uh, so thanks to Coach Terrell for, for letting me get into teaching for the first time. But um, 
yeah. And, and everyone in the class was like, what, what are you doing here? This is like the funky class. And I was like, I oh, know. So we would have like study sessions and it was, it was a lot of fun, but all that to say, um, it, it was during that class for me as a senior in high school that it really started to crack. I mean, it, as we talked about last week, you know, my, my journey is a little different. Uh, I didn't grow up around the indoctrination factory of, of Southern Baptist world. But um, for me, like just thinking about the Bible, like in, in a line, you know, like linearly, I can't say that word. <laughs> um, and it's too early. But going from, you know, Genesis, and then you get some law stuff, and then you get the Exodus, and then you get the Kings, and then you get the prophets. And then there's Daniel in there with the lions and, and you know, the, the poor guys who get thrown into the fiery thing. And, and, and then somewhere in there, there's and, lions. And- yeah. And then you get Micah at the end, which leaves us on like a cliffhanger. And then you get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you get into the New Testament. And then you get some stuff from Paul. And then you get those weird books like First John, Second John, Third John. The ones you know, actually read for Second Peter, James. And then you get Revelation. And that's the good stuff. So you, you, you've got this line of, of progression of, of revelation from God. And from start to finish, it's one complete piece. Uh, you can't argue with it. There's subreddits on it, it, just like Star Wars, and there's a complete story in there. And if you don't it's like it, story. yeah, if you don't like it, it's it's not your fault because you don't like it. It's George Lucas's fault for creating it that way, or J.J. Abram, Abrams' fault for making the new trilogy this way. It's not your fault for the way you interpret it. You know, it's it's his fault because you wouldn't have told the story that way. But that's the story you got, so you got to make the best of it. And then you get some fun stuff like Michael Badiah that you can get into, kind of like you can get get into the Clone Wars, which is really good. Uh, which takes you out Those of the main story. Those are kind stories. of offshoots, though. Offshoots. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? So, I think I think just because of the way we consume media today, you know, it, it's I'm going to go binge watch Ozark and and watch every episode tonight, and it's going to be so awesome. And that's going to be a complete story that just kind of gets shoved into my eyeballs, and I don't have to do much with it. Uh, for me as a kid, it was it was. That oh, actually, speaking of which, there is some shoving into eyeballs in that. <laughs> yeah. It was an ancient history class, but also like I was listening to the Beatles and I was trying to find the meaning behind Beatles songs. Like I would drive around at night and, and listen to the Beatles, you know, in my Jeep with my headphones on, which is illegal. But like, you know, I'm like, hey, Jude, like, what the hell is this song about? You know, why is why is uh, John singing the song the way he sings it? Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. Jeez. Why is Paul singing the song the way he sings it? And it wasn't until later that, you know, I got into kind of actually reading the the backstory of all this and you know the song was to John's son and blah 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 because I had this whole thing mapped out in my head about how it was uh, a metaphor for heroin and, and they were trying to get off you know break the habit and all this stuff um you know I'm the wal- walrus like what the hell is that song about you know and and trying to break down each of the little imagery and and not understanding things like dadaism or you know kind of the the approach that Paul and John were taking to songwriting at the time which was you know, very much like let's trip and write down what we, you know, see or think. Um, so it, it was, it was that sort of combination of things that said, you know what, this, this text is not a line. It's not Genesis to revelation. You know, there, there's things playing on things. And in Matthew, Jesus is talking back to the Torah and over here in Micah, you know, there's some weird stuff going on with, you know, second, second temple period. And what if, you know, what if the, the, sort of Tanakh as we have it, I, you know, I would say Old Testament at the time. What if like the, uh, the first five books were put together much later than I thought they were? What if it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, 1000? What if they were put together and, you know, starting in around 200? Uh, so that's where I started getting the, into the dating stuff. And yeah. yeah. And what if the Genesis story is not supposed to be a 
chronological story of seven days. You why know, are, there, why of, are there two Genesis stories? You know, and it's like, there two because they're talking to why each other. There, it's all midrashic, right? And that's why what are there two flood stories? You know, all of these things that you you if you have been in a conservative fundamental community, you can't even consider these questions, right? Because the Bible is the word of God. It is infallible and inerrant and it's all one story and it all fits together perfectly. Yeah. And And it's, but then, you know, Kings argues with Chronicles. Right. And until you get to the fact that, wait a second, these are people struggling to understand what is going on around them and how the divine kind of works into all of that. I think that you, I don't know. I don't want to say that you have a limited view of faith. I think the way I would say it is you're missing an interpret. You're missing an opportunity and an invitation for something deeper. Are you talking to me? No, <laughs> no, I'm talking I'm to, kidding. Like, I know, I know. and I'm talking to not only the rhetoric that surrounds like the biblical narrative, but the rhetoric that surrounds our political kind of context right now, until you can consider that there might be something else going on, right? That you have no idea about. And that isn't, about you at all and doesn't benefit you at all you're gonna miss a lot yeah you know it's, it's like that little cartoon on my on my twitter profile like in the header it's it's john from garfield the human and uh it, it's just like a little thing that says the world was here before you were born and then it shows john's face kind of like mm. and then the last panel is and it will be here long after you're dead kind of a thing and uh, it's, somebody it's, said the other day that only absolutes are that we are born and that we're going to die. That's it. Not if you're Elijah or Jesus or, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're Enoch. Yeah. I just, I just think <laughs> that we get into our own heads that we forget, right? Ashes to ashes. Yeah. And you know, but it, I just think we're we're so linear, and it, it yes, you know, we just want everything to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Not realizing realizing that's a mind trick, you know, like we don't we don't come out of the womb counting in a line, you know. It, Which I should I should admit that in our uh, non-public discourse, you and I, you see this kind of stuff to me quite often, and I receive it with an open heart and an open mind every time you do. I couldn't even get through it without laughing. Right. So we will, we will be, for instance, trying to get the kids out the door in the morning and I'll say, we'll have to leave. And you look at me and you say, why are you, why are you so rushed and panicked? I'm like, well, well we got to get out by 748 or we're going to hit the train or we're going to do this. And in the, especially in the mornings when I haven't had coffee, I don't really want to receive, you know, time is a construct. And it's a flat circle. <laughs> it's a flat circle. So like 748 is really just a made up thing. Like, I don't want to have that, that discussion. Have you ever really, really looked at your hand? Nor, right. <laughs> like I want to get the kids in the car. And, yeah, but people are listening to the podcast so, so they can hear that we don't count, you know, in a line as kids. And that's a mind trick. And it takes a couple of years for us to get that through our heads. And then in 10th grade, when we take algebra two, we completely have to they un- tell us unlearn not to that. Right. right. And it's like, now we're going to study logarithms. And it's like, well, what the hell? That's how I was born. If you ask Ben right now, uh, what's, what's, well, maybe it's too late. He's already been indoctrinated because he's a, a brilliant, brilliant child. If you, if you count, I'll bleep out his name. If you count uh, from one to 10, like what's in the middle of one to 10? And, and our child would say three. You know why? Because it's on the way. 
to 10. Well, it's more like one to nine, but no, it's, it's, there's a distance between one and three and three times three is nine, right? So there's kind of a logarithmic idea there. So we, we think in logarithms as, as humans naturally. So it it helps explain why when you say 1 million, 1 billion and 1 trillion, we don't really understand the magnitude of difference between those, even though they're a thousand times more. So if I'm talking about 1 million seconds, that's something like three days. If I'm talking about one and I'm, I'm, don't at me. I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head. If I'm saying 1 billion <laughs> seconds, that's like 21 years. If I say 1 trillion seconds, that's something like the year 3150 or something like that. Like there's a huge gap between that, right? Okay. So this is interesting because I just heard about the doomsday clock, which I had never, I didn't know existed. And apparently You've we're- never like heard of the doomsday clock? No. And we're a hundred seconds from doomsday. Doomsday. And I'm like, well, that's like before I get to the office, but the seconds aren't seconds on the doomsday clock. Like literal seconds. Yeah, I can't believe you've never heard of the uh, doomsday clock. Yeah, it was, it was set up by the uh, like uh, Society of Atomic Scientists type thing. I forgot the year. Uh, way, way back. And the whole idea was that it would try to give you a gauge about how close we were to having the Cold War. But the seconds aren't war. seconds. Yeah, the seconds aren't seconds, right? Right, right, right. It, it's more of it's it's takes into account, you know, everything from, um, you natural know, disasters, natural disasters, climate change, climate change, you know, nuclear, threats, exactly, countries um, with nuclear abilities. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's got a really fascinating history. Um, what year was it? so? There's that time going on that I didn't know like was being calculated. Right. Yeah, ni- 1947 by the by the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. Yeah, it, here you go. it is a metaphor for threats to humanity from unchecked yes. scientific and technical advances. The, and that whole respiratory virus uh, that's going on in China is impacting the coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just, uh, just now, I was saying on Twitter, they just announced a, uh, another uh, uh, contamination or what do you call it? Patient. Another person has the virus in Chicago now. So there's one in Seattle and one in Chicago. It's the first two in the U.S. Oh, no. And last night it was breaking that like, you know, China's kind of covered up the numbers. Too. Yeah. So like, you know, the numbers are ex- exponentially more uh, in China than what they've let on, which makes sense. Um, but yeah, the doomsday clock is a really interesting metaphor for, for where we are. And as a kid, like we, we would talk about this a lot, like at school and stuff even. Um, you know, so like, yeah, 1947, it was seven minutes to midnight. That was the initial setting for the doomsday clock. And then 1963. Now it's hundred Huh. Yeah, in 1963, it went up to 12 minutes because we signed the Partial Test Ban Treaty, which, guess what? We just backed out of last year. So that's fun. We're there. That's to put us down into the seconds now. Yeah, so then the last ice was 1991 after uh, we signed the START Treaty with what became Russia. So we had 17 minutes. And uh, 1991, again, we just pulled out of that last year. Thanks, thanks Putin and Trump. And as, as of like... Uh, 2012, it was five minutes, and then it's been going down ever since then. So now we're 100 seconds, which is, you know, even at the height of the... The, the closest it's ever been. Yeah, even at the height of the, uh, you know, the, the, the Cuba um, nuclear crisis, you know, we, we were still like five minutes away, um, even though, you know, the Russians were ready to hit the button, or the Soviets, I should say. So anyway, it, it's a fun metaphor. And... Uh, you know, again, we as human need stories and metaphor and logarithms to tell 
story. So if we're taking the Bible as a line of interpretation and, and revelation, um, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't hold up, but it makes it much easier to consume and be told the truth. Well, and also for our little monkey brains to feel like we have a grasp of what it is, right? Oh, it's this that fits in my hand, that fits in my brain that I can tell the story of because it's much more difficult to try to grasp something and come to the conclusion, I don't understand what this is all about. Like none of our monkey brains really like that. So I think this is one of the things that I've been, well, you already outed me last, last week as a mystic, but one of the things that has been a part of my spiritual journey quite recently is there's an aspect of this that we will never understand. We will never understand the impact, but there's some things that we can say, or there's some testimony that we can give that there's more going on than what is going on. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, going back to that ancient history class for me, it was, it was realizing, wait, there were people just as intelligent as we are today, building right. great things, doing great right. things. Who Having uh, indoor plumbing. Yeah. Who, who lived thousands of years, tens of thousands of years hundreds of thousands of years, you know, before Genesis was written down or came in some form. So what do you do with that? And then, okay, well, Jesus came to save the world, but what about all the people that came before Jesus? You know, did they not, were they kind of grandfathered in or were they exempted or how did that work? Did they have to be Jewish or could they, what about the poor Assyrian kid, you know, who never heard of (laughs) the God of Israel? Um, You know, where, how do we, how do we reckon that? So we, we come up with great things like the harrowing of hell, um, you know, to say, well, when Jesus was, you know, taking his nap. Between, okay, you can't just drop that. Yeah, you can't just drop that and not mention, not explain what it that was, is. Like, that was a big thing at Bible study last week. I, I didn't realize. Oh my gosh, really everybody was like, what are you talking about? And we had Catholics in the group and I was like, the harrowing of hell. How do you not know about the harrowing of hell? So Jesus, you know, while he's, after he's been crucified and he's laid in the tomb on Saturday, he, uh, you know, or Sunday, depending on which gospel you read, he uh, goes down into hell or Hades and uh, breaks open the gates, which shows his power over death and his supreme power over all of creation, including hell, and pulls out, you know, Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Ruth and Dinah and all, all the good people from the Old Testament and uh, takes them up to heaven so that they can um, float on, on the clouds with their wings. So that's that kind of conception is that, you know, he, he goes back to make sure that Moses gets out alive, but also to show his, you know, Jesus's power over, over death. And uh, it's, it's much more complex theologically. I'm, I'm not making slight of it. Uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic study. I've done lots and lots of study on it because I did a big chunk of my grad school stuff on Dante. So, of course, we had to talk about the hearing of hell. But, um, it, yeah, it's one of those conceptions that we as, as Protestants are like, wait, what? <laughs> Uh, but, but it explains away like, okay, well, what about, you know, what about this poor, uh, poor, uh, oh, I activated my speaking device. Cancel. My apologies. <laughs> Cancel. Jeez. Speaking um, of other things, always listening. What right? are you talking about? Going on. They're just three in our bedroom. So the, the conception there is that, you know, we, we come up with these, I don't know, logical jumps to explain away. Uh, this kind of concerns that, you know, a 17-year-old in Mullen, South Carolina would have about, you know, go Kingston Acura, like, is he going to hell because he doesn't believe? 
uh, the South Park movie did a great bit about this with Gandhi and, and Gandhi ends up in hell. And it was, it was a very, uh, uh, caused, caused a lot of ruckus when that movie came out, uh, like in the early 2000s. But uh, it you know makes a good satirical point about Christian belief in heaven and hell and all that kind of stuff. Again, coming out of this linear idea of, of existence that you know you live, you die, and then after you die, something has to happen because you know your soul is just not going to cease to exist. Well, we got to create you if if you're just going to you know rot in the ground. That's no good. Without really diving into the deeper my, uh, mysteries of of creation. That's that was good. Yeah. Whew. Harrowing. Of so fun. I do have my coffee, but I'm still having trouble uh, keeping up with you. What, fast what, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm talking fast. I'm trying to cram all this in because, you know, it's, 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 it's something I could talk about for days. And, you know, I figure if, if I talk really fast. The is going down. This might be <laughs> all we have left. Only got 100 seconds. Oh. There's a. I uh, really David, have 100 seconds. David Bowie's song called Five Years, which is a great song. And it's. It, See, it, listen, we're down to 60 seconds, though. You've got to get it posted and out there for the world to hear. Yeah, and that's that's what the whole song is about. And it's like we've got five years, you know. Let's give all we got. We got five years. That's not a whole lot, but yeah, blah blah blah. Okay, but this is interesting in the fact that in fundamentalism, and I'm not laughing, but there that Jesus is coming back at any minute, and like I can remember, and actually there, seriously, not joking. There's actually been a diagnosis of religious trauma syndrome where you are taught that Jesus is coming back at any minute. You have to be ready at all times and Jesus is watching you. And so you might not get married or you might buy big, big thing in middle school. And I'm laughing for me, but not for all of the impact people that it impact is like, maybe I won't have a chance to have sex because Jesus is going to come back before I get married. And that's, that's, that's how, that's how I, I, you know, talk to my girlfriend. So I was like, look, Jesus could come back. I mean, you know, <laughs> we got to do this now because we're well, kind of miss the experience. Yeah. No, but I mean, you know, if you think about it, that kind of rhetoric is really dangerous for kids. Like they don't understand that. And, using, and adults, but yeah, definitely with kids, but using the biblical text to support that, to kind of force people into this conversion and walking down the aisle. There are lots of people walking down with serious anxiety because they grew up with that. Right. Or, you know, when I was a teenager, our Sunday school teacher, who was a lovely man, but looking back, it was, it was some suspect things. Anyway, he would, he would do whole lessons about how you know masturbation is evil and if you masturbate you know god's watching and jesus is watching and you know your your um what's it your guardian your guardian angel is watching so we, we would make little guardian angels and anytime we felt the need to masturbate we were supposed to you know look up to that little guardian angel upon the uh upon our, our desk or whatever and, and remember you know grandpa grandpa's watching you so you know don't don't touch yourself was and, this only guys <laughs> in your Sunday school class? No, no, it was a mix of oh girls and guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, of course, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to test this theory. But, and you again, know. <laughs> I mean, but, okay, but again, like Sunday school Bible study, perhaps we should study the Bible instead of talking about guardian agent angels and preventing kids from masturbating. Yeah, neither one of those okay, are in the Bible. That's, well, that's the masturbating cool. stuff. There is some stuff in Leviticus and Numbers, but okay, listen, we cannot even get into that because that is a whole different episode. That is a whole different episode, <laughs> or maybe a, a like six-part series. That's gonna that would be great. We could call it the, the masturbation episode. We would get so many downloads on that. Oh my gosh, I I mean I've 
just been reading about this, you know, and um, you were like about masturbation, about sex and sexuality <laughs> and religious trauma syndrome and right, and, right. All, and yes, I mean masturbation's in all of those and how yeah, it is, it is, and it was it was a big deal in purity culture. And I'm not sure if it's still that way. <laughs> Southern Baptist world, but you know, I, I mean, I had Methodist friends who were saying the same thing, you know, when we got oh, to college. And that's the big realization that we're all having as we talk about our experiences that this was not just Southern Baptist and this was not just one community of faith. This was like permeating the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Teen. Yeah. Sunday yeah. school lessons and youth groups and youth conferences. And yeah, but I did have this stack of books from the library and we have, um, our oldest has started middle school and you did comment, perhaps we shouldn't, should we have those on the table? Like, should we talk? And I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm just putting it right there on the table. And I hope she asks questions, but it won't be the 12 year old. It'll be the nine year old. who asks oh, I know. Our, our little agnostic. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bart, Bart Ehrman on his podcast last week did a whole thing about um, why he uh, calls himself an agnostic and sometimes an atheist, but agnostic, not atheist, which I think is really interesting. Anyway. Um, but she doesn't consider herself an agnostic. You know, she considers herself a humanist. Humanist, right? She's our little David Hume. Um, <laughs> humanist doesn't mean what you think it means either. It's, it's a it's a great term, but yeah, her mother, I'm, I'm sure, impacted that one. If you're listening, I love you still. But yeah, don't don't mess up my kid's theology or philosophy. Wait, I'm not sure what that was. Do you love their mother or you say well, I love them as a person. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I, I think you know, there's, there's that constant need to assert power and assert dominance over meaning. And the easiest way to do that is by saying, no, there are four lights, you know, and, and it, you count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, And here's what Genesis says. So therefore that's what it is. You know, the Bible says it. So this is interesting it. because our four-year-old is trying to learn the letters of his name. He has three letters in his name. And they are his letters, except he keeps calling them his numbers. <laughs> and so he, he's like, yes, these are my numbers. I'm like, no, you mean your letters. And he's like, no, my numbers. <laughs> so we're doing this back and forth of, wait, no, A, B, C, D, F, G, those are letters. And he's like, right, numbers. <laughs> it's much like there are four lights back and forth. Yeah, right. Because and, it's all a construct. It's all a construct. And, and the construct is based on whoever's got the power, you know, so when, whether you like him or not, I don't, you know, Donald Trump is masterful at creating constructs around. That's right. Meaning. And the Democrats suck at it and they always have. So except for Bill Clinton, who was also an evil genius, but the, I'm not saying Trump is a genius, but Clinton was a genius, but he's evil. Uh, so the idea here that, that, you know, Trump is able to construct this whole construct of meaning around his, his world is just fascinating to watch play out. And, um, you know, you really do have to sit back and say, okay, Joel Osteen, you're really good at creating these constructs around this message you're trying to get out there and, you know, getting people to give you their cash. And I mean, there've been so many times in my life where I'm like, well, hell, I can just be like a really conservative evangelical and go that route and make a, a, a shit ton of money and, uh, create constructs because like we were talking about the other night, people want to believe in something, you know, people want to believe QAnon is real. You know, they want to believe that there's a, 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 a team inside of the deep state that's kind of, you know, it's working to, to gel the pedophiles and working to make sure that our country is on the right path. And, and Donald Trump is, is in on it and he's blowing up the, the swamp and it's going to be great because, you know, Hillary's going to jail, Barack's going to Gitmo 
and it's it's going to be a, a brave new world. And that, you know, we, we got to keep our ammunition locked and loaded because they're going to come for us when that happens. Yeah. But yeah. we're going to win. We're you know we're going to be the, the elect who get chosen in Revelation. And we we like to think that you know things like Revelation are, are so far fetched and or you know look at those crazy guys marching in Richmond or Charlottesville, you know with their their cosplay military gear and their tactical bags and their their rifles and all that kind of stuff you know huh they're they're 40 years old and overweight you know they they you know silly guys they should get a job what are they doing out working you know uh, uh you know marching on the street without realizing that both of those things are very real realities for lots of people and it's not something to laugh at or be made fun of like we all fall into that trap of wanting to believe in something whether you're a bernie sanders supporter or a liz warren supporter who maybe still think she's Native American, I don't know, or a Donald Trump supporter, you know, and we do the same thing with the Bible. And we want to believe that there's a story in there. We want someone to tell us what that story is so that we can just believe it and then go back and work at our insurance company and not have to think about, you know, the grand mysteries of, of creation because we rest assured knowing that, you know, victory in Jesus is mine. <laughs> so right now at, at, uh, at Chicago, at O'Hare, yeah, they're uh, just officially started screening so they're setting up thermometers and medical equipment to test passengers traveling into chicago so they're trying to see like if you have a fever you 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 get pulled over to the side and they're handing out uh flyers and n95 masks so i've got got four of those in the truck in in case it's ever because i'm a prepper see i'm i'm look my palms are starting to sweat because i've got enough of the the jesus is coming at any moment rapture preparation that um, this this is triggering the the doomsday clock is clicking and I'm like okay I got some stuff I got to do before <laughs> yeah it all goes down I mean I got I gotta you know save the world and stuff yeah and refill the coffee we do have good coffee so what are mm-hmm. you what are you preaching on this week oh unity first okay. Corinthians. First Corinthians one ten through eighteen. What's the uh, what's the what's the test? Paul's attempt to diagnose and treat divisions going on in the community of Corinth. So, what are you going to say? Oh, you'll have to come here. I did not reveal before. <laughs> so, what? is it is this going to be one of those where it like preaches itself type thing, or are you are you going to? I mean, I am pastoring a United Church of Christ. Like, right? There's some easy parallels here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you. You love when I preach Paul. Well, I just heard some terrible sermons from that passage, you know, because it's 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 so easy just to. You might hear one on Sunday. <laughs> I'm not discounting that, but but it's it's so easy to fall into that trap of oh well, you know, I'm just going to read what it says and go buy it and talk about unity and. You know, write my nice devotional book about unity and how we need to be one in Christ because Christ is bigger than us. And if we just be union, we can be good Christians. You know what I mean? Mm. There is one line I'll tell you. Unity is not homogeny. Yeah. So that's in there. Listen for it. Okay, I'll listen for that one. And I think that's 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 something that people don't, don't understand or, or want to accept you know that you know we can 
we can be different, but I'll be in a, a, a healthy group, if that makes sense. Um, that's definitely something that people don't understand, as is indication by the, the votes that went on with the uh, amendments that were straight down party lines. Yeah, or even, I mean, you know, even on the left, you know, you get the, the, the kind of identity politics and it's like, well, yes. you, don't, you don't feel like me on this one issue, so therefore we can't, you know, commune or we can't be together. Right, I'm a, or my favorite is you're, that you're, I can't, you're canceled I'm a, I'm a Christian, you think so I vote this way. And I'm like, huh? What? What? Right. Right. I vote pro-life because I'm a Christian. It's like, well, let, let's take that apart for a minute. What do, what yes. do you think about a living wage? Yeah. Um, okay. Listen, we're, we're going down. We have like eight different episodes that we can follow up this one episode. We've got 40 with. minutes left on the clock. No. You need to go somewhere? Not on this clock. Yeah, I'm telling you, I've got to prepare for doomsday. <laughs> I'm having some anxiety. Plus, I'm out of coffee. Yeah. I, I brought my coffee this time, but... Mm, all Down right. Well, maybe I'll record your sermon and uh, post it up if it's good. If it's not, we won't. If it's not, if it doesn't appear, then you, the listeners, know it was a bad interpretation according to Sam Harrelson. It didn't pass my test. It didn't pass the test for thinking in religion. Which is the only test that matters because, you know, we, we all universes of one inside of our heads, you know, and, and if you see the Buddha on the road, you kill the Buddha because the Buddha doesn't matter. It's, it's your revelation inside of you turtles all the way down turtles i'm, I'm just going to appropriate every culture i can here <laughs> all right well uh thank you and if, if people want to know more about you they can go to mariana.net or they yep. can follow you on twitter or they can email you mariana at masturbation episode.com <laughs> Uh, if you want to support oh. this show, which uh, we, we would greatly appreciate in 2020, uh, every every little dollar counts. One dollar up to, you know, if you want to give a thousand dollars, whatever a month. Uh, go to- Five dollars buys me a nice cup of espresso so I can uh, keep up with the fast talker on the other side. And we could go for three hours. Uh, it's patreon.com slash thinking religion or thinking FM. I'm sorry. I always get the wrong thinking FM. Patreon.com slash thinking FM. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, as always, you can go to thinking.fm and get all the notes from the shows. I promised a giveaway. Should we wait till next week now that we're at the end? Yeah, yeah. We can't announce it yet. All right. It's a good one. We don't have the rules established yet. And I've you got know, the rules established. I'm, I've, got a, I've got a landing you page. Do? Wait, do I get a say in this? Like, apparently not. No, it's oh. my interpretation. So people are going <laughs> to go to thinking.fm slash, I'll tell you the, the, uh, the page later. And uh, you'll fill out a little form. It's going to be your name, email address. The reason we need your email address is to notify you. You can opt into the newsletter. You don't have to. It doesn't improve your chances of winning. Uh, and you only have to enter once uh, for that giveaway. And it's going to be once a month. So kind of a rolling thing. And uh, again, if, if, you, if you, know, you can get the weekly newsletter, we're going to really kick that back into gear, which I'm excited about. Uh, Thomas and I used to spend a lot of time on those. But seriously. And... Um, we always enjoyed putting them together because it would be like links that because throughout, throughout the week, Thomas and I would collect links that were going to be maybe discussed. And we only would discuss like two out of 20. So the newsletter would be like so the rest of the rest of them. Right. So it's like, here's the other stuff that didn't get that we done. thought we would get to. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting, like archeological or historical or political stuff that, that, you know, we might've discussed. Um, and then we would take turns on like writing a little, you know, kind of, thought piece like you know two three paragraphs and uh then just some little you know fun 
you know, pictures from our studio or, or whatever. So kind of a behind the scenes type thing. So we're going to bring that back this year and, and start doing that again regularly. So you can subscribe to that and uh, there'll be a link down in the show notes for that too. But with the giveaway, you'll have a chance to subscribe automatically. You don't have to give your name. We don't, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about all the rules next week after I clear them with our uh, chief uh, director of, of operations. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll go from there. All right. We'll talk to you All next right. week. See ya. Bye.